0: amen all right well, we're there in first john chapter five and verse number seven and uh tonight we are continuing our uh series on the holy spirit and if i um if i can get if i can get the sound guys just turn me on up just to, just a hair I, I just having trouble hearing myself and if i can get one of the ushers to help me i think we can cut the air conditioner down a little bit if uh, maybe we can turn that down um somebody could help me with that too much <laughs> it's just a little bit thank you appreciate it. All right, well, we've been learning about the Holy Spirit on Sunday nights. And if you remember, uh, several weeks ago, we started uh, the first sermon uh, with uh, learning about the person of the Holy Spirit. And then last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit as God. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. And uh, it just kind of makes sense to go ahead and talk about the Holy Spirit in the Trinity uh, at this point because it is the third sermon in the series but that's not the only reason um, also because we've been talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and uh, and the Holy Spirit is God and uh, so it's good to talk about the three persons of the Trinity now what I want to do to kind of begin as we start what I what I did when I, I, was, I was trying to figure out the way to approach this sermon how to uh, go through the sermon and I thought the best thing would do uh, to do would be to write out a little doctrinal statement in regards to what we believe about the Trinity. In fact, I don't even think we have one on our website, so I'll probably just, we'll probably just use this and put this on our website. But I want to start off by reading to you just this little paragraph, a doctrinal uh, statement that I wrote out about our beliefs about the Trinity, and it covers, I think, everything that we believe about the Trinity. And uh, let me go ahead and read this to you. It says this. So You don't need to write this down. Don't worry but You're not going to be able to write it down, all right? But let me just read it to you. It says, We believe in the Trinity which is the belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. The three persons or members of the Godhead are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons, each possessing their own body, intellect, and will. The three are all equally God and eternal, meaning that they have eternally existed as three persons. The three members of the Godhead voluntarily submit themselves under a chain of command because God is one being or entity that exists in three separate and distinct persons, we reject polytheism, the belief that they are all, that they are three gods. Additionally, because we believe that each member of the Godhead is not partially God or a part of God, each member is all God and all of God, we reject partialism, the belief that each is part of God that come together to make up and. one God. Now, I want to read that to you because and I, and I realize that's lengthy and I don't expect you to remember that. But that basically covers our beliefs about the Trinity. There's a lot about the Trinity that you have to kind of understand and, 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 and be able to balance together. And what I want to do for the rest of the night, now that I've read to you our doctrinal statement, is to basically break this in, up into sections and go through it kind of line by line and explain to you from the Word of God why it is that we believe in the Trinity and what the Bible teaches about the Trinity. Now, let me say this. I have a lot of notes, and I've got a lot of verses that we're going to flip uh, flip through. A lot of these verses I'm just going to read to you. you I, don't, I don't need you to turn to them or expect you to turn to them. Uh, I would. It, it's okay for you to sit there and not turn to every passage, if you're taking notes, maybe you can jot down the references. So you can have them for your own personal notes. You can study them out later if you'd like. And I'll promise I'll be reading out of the King James Bible. All right, so you don't have to worry about uh, that. But if you're, if, if let's go ahead and begin there in First John chapter five, and if you're in verse seven, you'll know that I'm reading out of the King James Bible because of the fact that most modern Bible versions omit. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. In fact, if you have an NIV in your hand, your Bible will say 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8. It won't even, it won't even change the numbering. It'll just remove it completely. Um, or, or sometimes they'll put a no and say that they, they added it there, but it shouldn't be there. But 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7 is in the Word of God. And the Bible says this, For there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And like I said, we're going to just kind of take our doctrinal statement and break it up, but I want to begin by saying this. We believe in the Trinity, which is the belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. The three persons or members of the Godhead are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And today, you'll have modern Bible versions because there is an attack on the deity of Christ. There's an attack on who God is, and there is an attack today on the Trinity. There is an attack on the teaching or the belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. Because of that, First John chapter 5 and verse 7 has been removed from many Bible versions, but the truth of the matter is when you read the Bible, and especially the New Testament, you will come across the Trinity a lot. The Trinity is mentioned and brought up Throughout Scripture, 1 John 5, 7 is probably the key verse in regards to the Trinity belief, but it's not the only verse. Let me just begin by giving you a couple examples. We could spend all night looking at the Trinity throughout Scripture, but I don't want to do that. We've got to cover a lot of different things. But go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. And look at verse number 19. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. We often refer to this as the Great Commission, where Jesus is commissioning us as believers to go out and preach the gospel. But I want you to notice what he says in regards to the second part of the Great Commission, which is not only to get people saved, but to baptize them. He says this, Matthew 28, verse 19, "...go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of..." And then notice what he mentions, "...the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost." Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the unto the end of the world. Amen. So here we have a verse where all three members of the Godhead are mentioned: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Go to Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. If you're there in Matthew, you're going to go Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. And look at verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14 says this. And this is just a salutation. This is just uh, Paul saluting uh, the the church at Corinth. He says the grace, or, or blessing them, I should say. He says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice, he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. So he mentions God the Father and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. So in this little uh, blessing that he's giving them, and he's telling them, I hope you have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope you have the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost, he mentions the three members of the Godhead. So, And, and again, we can spend all night looking at verses where they're just all three mentioned as separate persons. And I want you to understand that the Bible, it's not just First John 5, 7, but throughout the Bible we find this concept that God exists in three persons, and those three members of the Godhead are the Father, the Son, also called the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Now, you're there in Second Corinthians. Stay right there. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you because we actually covered it uh, last week, so I don't need you to go there. But the second statement that I'd like you uh, to, to understand is not only that we believe that God exists in three persons, but it's this. The three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons, each possessing their own body, intellect, and will. The Bible is clear that every member of the Godhead is a distinct and separate person. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says this, God, and you can just jot this down if you'd like, you don't have to turn there, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. All right, so when God has before spoken by the fathers, and now he is speaking, or he has spoken by his son. We're talking about God the Father. God the Father has spoken by his son, whom he, talking about God, has appointed heir of all things. God the Father has appointed his son heir of all things. By whom also he, talking about God, made the world, who being the brightness of His, talking about God the Father, being the brightness of His glory and the expression of His person. So the Son is the brightness of the glory of God the Father, and He is the express image of God the Father's person. And again, I'm only bringing that up to you to show you that the Bible teaches that God the Father is a person. And He says that the Son is the express image of His person. You're there in 2 Corinthians, look at chapter 2 and verse 10. I showed you this, uh, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but let's look at it since you're there in 2 Corinthians. It should be obvious that God the Son is a person, that Jesus is a person, but there's a verse to prove that as well. 2 Corinthians 2.10, To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it. In the person of Christ, all right? So we've got a verse teaching that God the Father is a person. We've got a verse teaching that God the Son is a person. Go to Luke chapter number 3. Towards the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter number 3. Of course, God the Holy Spirit is a person as well. And in fact, I'm just going to show you one verse but when we started this series, I preached a sermon called The Person of the Holy Spirit, and I went through and showed you from the Bible how the Holy Spirit is not just an energy, He's not just a force, but He is a person. And what we learned in that, in that sermon was that the Holy Spirit has a body, the Holy Spirit has a will, the Holy Spirit communicates, the Holy Spirit has intellect, the Holy Spirit has emotion. And again, energy doesn't have emotion. A force doesn't have intellect. A force... Uh, like a magnetic force, it doesn't communicate with you. It doesn't have a body. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has a body. Are you there in Luke chapter 3? Look at verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, and again, notice we see the Trinity in this verse, that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open and the Holy Ghost, we've got the second member of the Godhead, descended in a bodily shape. Like a dove, so he uh, descends in a bodily shape. Obviously, he doesn't have a body like you and I have a body. He has a spiritual body, but he has a body upon him. And notice, the third member of the Godhead, a voice from heaven. Who is that? That's the Father, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am more pleased. Now, look, again, unless Jesus was just the greatest ventriloquist who's ever lived, okay, You've got the three members of the Godhead all there present for the baptism of Christ. You have Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove in a bodily shape, and you've got a voice from heaven, the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we believe, and you're there in in Luke chapter 3, go with me to the book of uh, John. So just one book over, John chapter 8. We believe that... God is the trinity teaches that God that there is one God that exists in three persons and that one God that is three persons those three persons are separate and distinct from each other and of course we we've talked a lot recently or in, in months prior about oneness. And there's been a lot of talk about oneness, a lot of oneness heretics out there. And the oneness doctrine teaches that that God is not three persons, that God is one person who pretends to be three people. He's one person that acts like He's the Son sometimes, and acts like He's the Father sometimes, and acts like He's the Holy Spirit sometimes. But this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that they are separate and that they are distinct. That's why you have them all three there at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending, and a voice from heaven and we've seen those scriptures. Let me show you just further evidence of the fact that the three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons. Are you there in John chapter 8? Look at verse 13. John chapter 8 and verse 13, in fact verses 13 through 18 is what we're going to look at, is a great passage that distinguishes the members of the Godhead as separate persons. John chapter 8 and verse 13 says this, The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. So the Pharisees are telling Jesus, You're bearing record of yourself. Thy record is not true. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence. The word whence means from what place. He says, I know from whence I came and whither, that means to what place I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come or whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man, verse 16. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. Now listen, If you, you either believe that the Trinity teaches that there's one God that exists in three persons, or you have to believe that Jesus had a multiple personality disorder. Okay, that Jesus was crazy and insane. Because they just told him, they said, your witness is not true. And he said, my witness is true. And he says, let me prove to you that my witness is true. He says, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. Verse 17. It is also written in your law. Now he's going to quote the Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament. He says that the testimony of two men is true. And this is what the Bible teaches, that you have to bring the testimony in order to receive an accusation. You have to have two witnesses, two different individuals that were attesting or testifying to the same thing. He says, your law says that the testimony of two men is true. Verse 18, he says, I am one. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm one witness. I'm one person. I'm one of those men that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. What's he saying? He's saying, your law says that the testimony of two men is true. He says, well, I'm one man, and my Father is another man. I'm one person, and my Father is another person. Again, clarifying and and just digging in this idea that the members of the Godhead are three separate and distinct persons. We do not believe in oneness. We do not believe that God is one person who pretends to be three different people. The Bible teaches that God exists in three separate persons. So we believe in the Trinity, which is a belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. The three members of the Godhead are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons, each possessing their own body, intellect, and will. Each member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each has their own body, each has their own will, each has their own intellect, each one uh, has their own reasoning. They are three separate and distinct persons. Number 3. The three members of the Godhead are all equally God. Now, um, where where are you right now? Are you still in John? Go to John chapter 5. I'm pretty sure you're in John 8. Go to John chapter 5. Let me give you some verses. While you turn there, let me read to you from Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. You go to John 5. The Bible says says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So the Bible says that Jesus, while he was on this earth, he did not think it robbery. He was not taking anything away from God. He was not stealing anything from God when he made himself equal with God. You say, well, why would he make himself equal with God? Because of the fact that the three members of the Godhead are all equally God. Are you there in John chapter 5? Look at verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. John chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. Why did they want to kill Jesus? Here's why. Because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. Notice, he said also that God was his father, and they understood that when he said, God is my father, he was making himself equal with God. Now, you say, well, well, how is he equal with God? Here's why he's equal with God. Because God exists in three persons, and all three persons are equally God. All three persons are distinct from each other, separate from each other, but they are equally God. You're there in John, go to Acts chapter, chapter number 5. Acts chapter 5, we saw this, I think, last week, but let's look at it again. The Holy Spirit is God. And uh, often we fail to think of the Holy Spirit as God. We have bought into the idea, even though we don't believe it, we'll think of the Holy Spirit as an energy or as a force or as something kind of mystical that's just out there. But the Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5, look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, and this is a story of Ananias and Sapphira, and we we won't develop that. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? So notice, Ananias is lying to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Notice what he says. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Now, in verse 3, he said, You're lying to the Holy Ghost. In verse 4, he said, You're lying to God. Why would he say that? Because the Holy Ghost is God. And again, I preached an entire sermon on that last week, so I'm not going to re-preach that, but let me just remind you, Last week when we went through the study on the Holy Spirit as God, we learned that God, the Holy Spirit, is omniscient. And God, the Holy Spirit, is omnipresent. And God, the Holy Spirit, is omnipotent. And God, the Holy Spirit, is eternal. And God, the Holy Spirit, is the creator. And we we're looking at the attributes and the actions of God and showing you how the Holy Spirit is God in His own right. He is equally God. He is all God. Let me say this, number four. Go to Isaiah chapter number 40, and if you open up your Bible, just right in the center of the Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms, and right after Psalms, you've got the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Isaiah. We're we're, we're breaking up this doctrinal teaching on the Trinity. What have we learned so far? We've learned this, that the Trinity is the belief that there is one God. There's one God that exists in three persons. The three persons or members of the Godhead are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons, each possessing their own body, intellect, and will. The three are all equally God. But understand this, the three, the three members of the Godhead are all equally God, but they are also all eternal. Meaning that they have eternally existed as three Persons. Are you there in Isaiah chapter 40? Look at verse 28. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says this. Has thou not known? Has thou not heard? That, notice, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. So here we see a verse that calls God everlasting. Now keep your place there in Isaiah. We're going to come right back to it. But go to the book of Micah. Keep your place in Isaiah, but go to Micah. If you're in Isaiah, you're going to go Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. I know it's a lot there, but just kind of make your way through the Minor Prophets and go from Isaiah to Micah. You can't keep up? That's fine. Just jot down the references. You can study them out later. While you go there, let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27. Deuteronomy 33:27 27 says this, The eternal God is my refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemies from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. So here we read a verse that says, the eternal God is my refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I want you to understand that the Bible teaches that God is eternal. He has always existed. He was not created. He is the I Am. He is the self-existing One. He's been forever. The Bible says that about God the Father. But the Bible says that also about God the Son. Are you there in Micah chapter 5? Look at verse 2. Micah chapter number 5 and verse 2. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we have a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, remember Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This is a prophecy of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee... Out of who? Out of Bethlehem. Shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. So here's the prophet. He's saying there's a ruler coming out of Bethlehem. Notice there's something special about this ruler. Whose going forth have been from of old. Notice the words, from everlasting. The Bible says that the ruler that was going to be born in Bethlehem he was born in Bethlehem in a physical body, but that is not where his existence began because the ruler that came from Bethlehem, he is from old, from everlasting. Now, if you've got a modern Bible version, the modern Bible version says that he's from ancient times or he's from the, uh, being ancient. And look, that's an attack on the deity of Christ because all that says is that he was really old. Well, look, Jesus wasn't just really old. He's from everlasting. He's he's always existed. He has always been because He is eternal. Uh, You don't have to go to these passages. Let me read this to you. And again, today there is an attack on the eternal sonship of God. And part of it comes from the oneness crowd where they'll say, well, He wasn't always the Son of God. But the Trinity teaches and the belief in the Trinity is that there are three persons. God exists in three persons and God has always existed in three persons. See, sometimes they'll, they'll try to say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, he can morph himself into whoever he wants. I mean, he can just be kind of whoever he wants. He could have chosen to be a thousand people. No, no, no. That is not Trinity teaching. That is Hinduism. Okay? That is uh, mystic Pagan belief. If you say, "Well, he could have been, you know, just anyone. He could have been whatever." No, the Bible teaches that there is one God that exists in three persons, and they've always been three persons. Look, he didn't become the son when he was born in Bethlehem. The Bible's clear: when he came to Bethlehem, he was from everlasting. What does that mean? "From" is referring to a starting point. He's saying, "Where did he start? Where's he from? Where's his starting point?" Oh, his starting point's over there. Where? and everlasting. It's been forever. This is why Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Why? Because Jesus is God. Look, the Jehovah's Witness today, the cults today, are going to attack the deity of Christ. They're going to tell you that Jesus is not God. But the Bible is clear that Jesus is the second member of the Godhead and He is eternal. You say, okay, well, has He always been the Son, though? Because what if He was the Word And then he became the son when he was born. Well, the problem with that is that the Bible talks about him as being the son. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. But you can jot this down if you'd like. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 4 says this. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? Obviously, this is referring about God. And God is the only one that can do these things. God is the only one that has descended up into heaven or descended. God is the only one that, has, that is able to gather the winds in his fists, who has bound the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. Notice what it says. What is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? In Proverbs, they were asking, hey, God... Is all powerful. He can bind the waters in his fi- uh, 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 he, can, he, he can bind, excuse me, he bind the waters in, in a garment. He can uh, uh, gather the winds in his fist. And then he says, What is his name? And what is his son's name? Why does he say, What is his son's name? Because he's always had a son. Because Jesus has always existed as the son. Psalms chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. You can jot this down in your notes. Psalm chapter 2 and verse 11. It says this Serve the Lord. The word Lord, there's all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah God. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and he perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little, but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Put their trust in who? In the Son. The Son has always existed. Don't let people tell you, well, he, the Word has always existed, but he hasn't always been the Son. No, you know what? God has always existed in these three persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And the Son is eternal from everlasting. The Holy Spirit is eternal. You don't have to turn there. We talked about this last week, but let me just give it to you. Hebrews 9:14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who hath through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God? And he goes on. But he calls him the eternal spirit. Why does he call him the eternal spirit? Because all three members of the Godhead are equally God, and they are equally eternal. They are, they are all eternal. They've all existed. None of them were created. None of them became, well, now in this dispensation, He's going to be the Son, and now in the church age, He's going to be the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit has always existed. The Son has always existed. The Father has always existed. Go back to John, John chapter 5, and let's just kind of review. What have we talked about? We talked about the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity which is the belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. The three persons or members of the Godhead are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's not any options for any more members. It's not like, oh, well, could he have had another son? No, 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 there's only three. God's only ever existed in these three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons. Remember, Jesus said, I am one and my Father's one. You want two witnesses? You got them. They've always been distinct separate persons, each possessing their own body, intellect, and will. The three are equally God and eternal, meaning they have eternally existed in three persons or as three persons. Let me give you the fifth point. The three members of the Godhead, though they are equally God, we just talked about that. And what, that, what does that mean? That means they're all God. And they're all as much God as the other one is. There's not that one's more of a God, uh, of of a God. No, that's polytheism. There's one God. He exists in three persons. They're all eternal. They're all equal. And though they're all equal, please get this. This is what the Trinity teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. all three members of the Godhead uh, voluntarily submit themselves under a chain of command. See, often people will get offended because we will say, well, God the Father, and we'll say the Son is the second member of the Godhead, or the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. People say, well, why is he the third member of the Godhead? Well, it's not because he's inferior to the Father or the Son. It's not that the Son is inferior to the Father, but they have chosen to voluntarily submit themselves under a chain of command. Let's look at it. John chapter 5, look at verse 30. John chapter 5 and verse 30. Notice what Jesus said. You got a red letter edition this in Bible? These verses ought to be in red. John chapter 5 and verse 30. John 5, 30. Some people pay good money to go to Bible college to learn, to learn this. And they don't even learn this. They learn a whole, a whole lot of garbage. John chapter 5, verse 30 says this. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because, notice what Jesus said. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Now again, that that verse could not be true if you believe in oneness. if If it's one guy playing the same, different role. No, it's two distinct persons. Notice, Jesus had a will. The Father had a will. But Jesus said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I'm submitting myself to the authority of the Father. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Before he was going to be crucified? He said, let this cup pass from me. He was asking, Lord, if it's possible for me to not, God, if it's possible for me to not have to go through this, I don't want to have to go through this. Uh, He says, let this cup pass from me. But then what does he say? He says, not my will, but thine be done. He had a will. He's a separate, distinct person. But he chose to submit himself to the authority of the Father, even unto death. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. You're there in John. You're going to go Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you're having trouble keeping up, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll read it for you. Just jot it down in your notes. But if you're able to, go to John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Luke, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. What's it talking It's talking about bringing yourself under submission. The Bible still teaches that women ought to submit themselves to their husbands. I know that's not popular, but that's what the Bible says. That's what he's saying. Notice what he says. You say, Women will say, I'm not going to submit myself to my husband. Well, notice what it says about Jesus. And the head of Christ is God. Well, Christ submitted himself to God. Are you better than Jesus? If Jesus can submit, he can humble himself and submit himself, can't you? And what he's saying is, look, the head of Christ is God, referring to God the Father, Referring to the fact that he has submitted himself under the authority of the Father. Why? Because God the Son voluntarily submits himself to God the Father. Go back to the book of John. Go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. And let me just say this. You say, well, uh, isn't the Father greater than the Son? The Father is greater than the Son in position. They are all God. He is not better than the son in the sense that the son is inferior to him. Look, when children submit themselves to their parents, their parents are greater in position. They're not a greater being than their children. When a wife chooses to be godly and to submit herself to the authority of her husband, she, the, the husband is greater in his position but he's not a better being, he's not a better human, he's not a better person than his wife. Look, the employer is not intrinsically better than the employee, he's greater in his position. And the fact that one submits themselves under the other, in the same way, the son is not any less God than the father. But he voluntarily submits himself under the authority of the Father. This is why we say that Jesus is the second member of the Godhead. Why is the Holy Spirit the third member of the Godhead? Here's why? Because God, the Holy Spirit, has voluntarily submitted himself to God the Son. Are there in John 16? Look at verse 13. John chapter 16 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth is come, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, He will guide you in all truth. Jesus is referring to the fact that the Holy Spirit is coming. He's teaching about the Holy Spirit. He says, for he, the Holy Spirit, shall not speak of. You see that word of there? He says, shall not speak of himself. That word of is not referring to a subject. It's referring to the source. Sometimes people read that and they'll say, oh, the Holy Spirit is not going to speak about himself. But it's not referring to the subject. The Holy Spirit is going to speak about anything that's in the word of God. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Word of God. It's not referring to the subject, it's referring to the source, meaning he's not going to speak of his own source. He could speak of his own source, but he voluntarily chooses to submit himself to the Son. So therefore, he speaks only of what the Son, he only carries forth the agenda of the Son. He's only trying to accomplish what the Son is accomplishing. Notice what it says. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse 14. He, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me, Jesus. You see that? For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So what is the Holy Spirit's ministry on this earth? To glorify Jesus. He has submitted himself under the authority of the Son. He's not any less God than the Son is. He's as equally God. He's as equally omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, eternal, the creator, all those things. He's equally God. He's just as much God as the Father is. He's just as much God as the Son is. But he has chosen to voluntarily submit himself under a chain of command. You're there in John. Go to Galatians chapter number one. You're going to go John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. We're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. And specifically, the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. And we're learning that the Trinity teaches that God exists in three persons. Each member of the Godhead is is equally God and is eternal, has always existed. They are distinct and separate from each other. They possess, each one possesses a body, and an intellect, and a will, emotions, things of that nature, because they are separate from each other. Here's point number six. Because God is one being or entity, and you need to understand this. We do not believe polytheism. We don't believe that there are three gods. There is one God, one Lord. Because God is one being or entity, whatever word you want to use, that exists in three persons and those three persons are distinct and separate from each other we reject polytheism the belief that they are three gods because here's what the oneness people say they'll say oh you're polytheistic because you believe that there's three gods No, no no we believe there's one god that exists in three persons we don't believe that there's three gods the mormons believe in multiple gods and the Mormons will tell you, well, there's God the Father, and then there's God the Son, but God the Son's not the same God that God the Father is. He's a different God. And there's other, millions of other gods and other planets and other galaxies and whatever. And you say, ah, do they teach that? Check me on it. That's what they teach. It's polytheism. We believe that there's one God, and that one God exists in three persons. Now, here's what you need to understand. Because there is one God that exists in three persons, Sometimes we're going to see in scripture that they are, the, the scripture is highlighting the fact that they are separate and distinct from each other. Haven't we seen that? I mean, they fall under a chain of command. They've got different bodies. They've got different wills. Jesus is saying, I, I, I would rather do this, but I'll do whatever you want to be done, Father. The Holy Spirit says, I'm not going to speak of myself. I'm not going to speak of my own source. I'm going to speak of whatever the Son tells me because I'm here to glorify the Son. So they've got separate wills. They've got separate bodies. They've got different, separate intellect and emotions. They're separate people. The Bible highlights that. But sometimes the Bible will unite them. And, and sometimes we as Trinitarians, we kind of freak out. When the Bible unites them, because they're like, oh, no. Now, you know, the oneness people are going are gonna to take this. But here's the thing. Look, it's the trinity, triunity. There are three persons, yes, but they exist as one God. So sometimes the Bible unites all three, and there's nothing in the world wrong with that. You say, what are some examples? Well, I'll give you some examples. Here's an example. Uh, when the Bible refers to the resurrection. Galatians chapter 1, are you there? Look at verse 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. And there's lots of examples. I'm just going to give you a few. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, notice, and God the Father, who, notice what it says, who raised him. Who raised who? (laughs) Who, God the Father, raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. The Bible teaches in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1 that God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter, if you're there in Galatians, just go backwards. You're going to go past 2nd and 1st Corinthians into Romans, Romans chapter number 8. We just saw a very clear verse that said that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 11. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says this, but if the Spirit... Of Him, You see that capital S there? That's the Holy Spirit. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, okay? So he's talking about the Spirit dwelling in you, but he says it's the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. So here we have a verse that says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So we've got a verse in Galatians that said the God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. We have a verse in Romans 8.11 that says that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Go to John chapter number 2. John chapter number 2. You're there in Romans, just head backwards. You're going to go past the book of Acts into the book of John. John chapter number 2. John chapter number 2, look at verse 19. Notice what Jesus said. John chapter 2 and verse 19 says this. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. And he's referring to his body. We're going to see it here in a minute. Destroy this temple. Notice what he says. Because remember, they crucified him. He says, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, because they thought he was talking about the physical temple, forty and six years was this temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? Verse 21, but he, Jesus, spoke of the temple of his body. So Jesus said, Hey, when you destroy this temple, when you crucify this body, I will raise it up. In three days, I will raise it up. So there we have a clear verse where the Bible says that Jesus raised himself from the dead. We have verses that says God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. We have verses that says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. We have a verse that says that uh, Jesus raised himself from the dead. You say, well, well which one is it? It, it? It's all of them. You say, well, which one raised Jesus from the dead? They all did. Here's the answer. God raised Jesus from the dead. And the Father is God. And the Son is as equally God as the Father is. And the Holy Spirit is as equally God as the Son is. They're all God. There's only one God. He exists in three persons. So you say, oh, well, they must be be one person. No, you're trying to bring that into the passage. Because we've already looked at many verses that said, no, these are not three. These are distinct persons. They're separate. They have different wills. They have different intellects. They have different bodies have different, if they could, if they wanted to have, they could have different agendas. They choose to submit themselves under the authority. Once you understand that the Bible is clear, that the three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate, oneness is out. It's not an option. It's heresy. You say, well, what about these verses? that there?" It's like this uniting them. Yeah, because it, it's the Trinity. One God. One. And He exists in three persons. You say, well, which one? Which one raised them? You know, I I I haven't studied it out enough, but I, I can't. I don't know which which member of the Godhead it was his job to raise you, to raise them. All three raised them because they're all God, because there's one God, and that one God exists in three persons. Let me give you another example. Uh, let's talk about creation. Did you keep your place in Isaiah 40? Isaiah 40 verse 28. Isaiah 40 and verse 28 says this. Has thou not known, has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of His understanding. The Bible says that God is a creator. You don't have to turn here, but in Psalm 100 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Know ye not that the Lord, He is God? It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The Bible is clear that God created us. The Bible is also clear that God the Son... Created us. Go to Colossians chapter 1. If you kept your place in Galatians, you're going to go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse 13. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. says this, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I want you to see that we're starting in verse 13 because I want you to see who we're talking about. We're talking about the dear Son, right? The second member of the Godhead. God the Son. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood. Redemption through whose blood? The Son. Even forgiveness of sins. Where do we get forgiveness of sins? From the Son. Who is the image of the invisible God. We already saw that in Hebrews. He's the express image of His person. Colossians chapter 1 is extremely clear. Who is the creator? God is. Who is the creator? The Son is. Who is the creator? The Holy Spirit. You have to turn there. You can adjust it down. Job, good night. Job, I'm reading like I'm a brand new Christian. Job 33 verse 4. All new Christians, they think that if they read the book of Job, you know, that they'll get a job. I'm praying for a Job. I've been reading the book of Job. Job 33, look at verse 4. Good night. I said it again. Job 33 verse 4. Job thirty-three verse four says this: "The spirit of God, the spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life." Job twenty-six thirteen says this: "By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens; his hand hath formed the crooked serpent." Okay, so Job says the spirit is the creator. Colossians says that the son is the creator. Isaiah says that the father is the creator. It must be they're all the same person. No, there's one God that exists in three persons. You say, well, what, what's the answer? Here's the answer. God is the creator. Amen. And the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They're all God. They're all the creator. And even in Genesis 1, we read them say, let us make man in our image. God, the one singular God speaking in plural. Why? Because God exists in three persons. And, here, and here's, because I think sometimes people, they, they get kind of freaked out like, well, the oneness people, they're showing us all these verses where it's, it's, it's uniting them. But here's what you need to understand. Once you have one clear verse, and we have like a hundred clear verses, that is very, very clear that, sal- that, 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 that the Trinity is that God, one God, exists in three separate, distinct persons. You can't argue that. If you argue that, then you have to admit that Jesus was a crazy man, that he had multiple personality disorder, that he was hearing voices. Okay, you either believe that or you believe the Trinity, because there are some very clear verses that separate all three. So once you got them all three separated, they're distinct. They're separate. Separate wills. Separate bodies. Separate emotion. uh, 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 Separate communications. They're three different persons. When you have that, then you can look at every verse that is uniting them and say, well, yeah, it's united because it's one God that exists in three persons. It's one God. Who's the creator? God. What does that mean? That means the Father created us. That means the Son created us. That means the Holy Spirit created us. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God. That means the Father raised Him from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised Him from the dead. The the Son raised Him from the dead. Let me give you another example. The indwelling of believers. Uh, If you're there in Colossians, go back to Romans. If you you go backwards, you're going to go Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, 2nd and 1st Corinthians and Romans. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 9. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, we're looking at passages. We started by looking at passages where they're distinct, separate. Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit is descending as a dove, and the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus said, you need two witnesses. I'm one witness. My Father is another witness. Now either he was a crazy man or the Father is a separate person from the Son. But now we're looking at verses where they're all united. And it's okay if they're united because they're one God. They're not three different gods. It's one God that exists in three persons. Let's look at the example of the indwelling. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell. notice these words, in you. Okay, The spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Okay? Then Romans 8, 9, look at Romans 10. Now, we just read that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Verse 10 says this, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 9, he said, The Spirit of God dwell in you. In verse 10, he said, Christ be in you. Go to Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 4, look at verse 6. You're in Romans, you're going to go 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you can make it there, make it there. If you're not even to make it there, that's fine. You can jot this down, or you can go back and listen to the sermon on YouTube, and you can put me on slow-mo, you know? And then, um, and then you can jot down what you need. You know what I mean? Have you seen that on YouTube where you can slow it down or speed it up? Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. One God the Father of all, who is above all and through all and, notice these words, in you all. Okay, so God the Father is in you. Christ be in you. The Spirit of God dwell in you. Well, which one is it? I do know the answer to this question. Because who, who is the actual member of the Godhead who it's his job to indwell you? And we haven't gotten here yet in our, in our series. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to get to the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn that it's actually the work of the Holy Spirit to indwell you. It is the third member of the Godhead's job to seal you and to indwell you. So if you want to theologically, you want a theological answer, who is in you, It is the Holy Spirit. You say, well, then why does it say the Father's in you? Why does it say that Christ is in you? Well, because there's one God that exists in three persons. Because the Spirit is God, and the Son is God. He's not a separate God. He's not a different God. It's the one God, and it exists in three persons. The Father is God. You say, who's, who's indwells you? God indwells you. But if you want to know specifically which person of the Godhead, it's the Holy Spirit. But they're all God. They're all equally God. You're indwelled by God. You're sealed by the Spirit of God. And here's all I'm telling you is that there's verses that unite them, and that's okay. Because they're not separate gods. They're one God that exists in three persons. Go to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter 2. You're there in Ephesians. You're going to go Philippians. Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Let's review what have we learned so far. We've learned this. We believe in the Trinity, which is the belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. The three persons or members of the Godhead are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons, each possessing their own body, intellect, and will. The three are all equally God and eternal, meaning that they have eternally existed as three persons. The three members of the Godhead voluntarily submit themselves under a chain of command. Here's point number seven. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, point, uh, point number six. Let me read point number six. Because God is one being or entity that exists in three separate and distinct persons, we reject polytheism, the belief that they are uh, three gods. It's not three gods, it's one God. And because it's one God that exists in three persons, it's okay to unite them, and it's why we see scriptures that are uniting them and saying, they all three resurrected Christ, they all three created us, they're all three indel- indwelling us. Although, here's the thing, they... The member of the Godhead that's indwelling you is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God, and Jesus is God, and they're not three different gods, they're one God. Here's point number seven. Additionally, because we believe that each member of the Godhead, please hear this out, because I think we're missing this a lot when we believe and we talk about the Trinity, and this is what makes the Trinity difficult to understand, and like anything in the Word of God, we have to accept it by faith. Because we believe that each member of the Godhead is not partially God or a part of God, each member is all God and all of God, we reject partialism. Partialism is the belief that each member of the Godhead is part of God that comes together to make up the one God. Are you there in Colossians 2? Look at verse 9. Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Him, the Him there is referring to Jesus. You can look at that in this context if you'd like. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That word Godhead is referring to divinity or deity. In fact, the same same word there is used in that sense uh, in other places. But I, I want you to notice before we leave there that the Bible says that in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all not some, not part, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So all of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. Go to Acts chapter 17 and let's look at this word Godhead. What does it mean? Acts chapter 17 and verse 29. You're there in Colossians, you're going to want to head back. Philippians, Ephesians, Galatians, 2nd and 1st Corinthians, Romans, Acts. Acts chapter 17, verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, Acts 17, verse 29, this is Paul's preaching, Mars Hill, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. What's he saying? He's saying divinity, deity, is not like unto gold or silver. Remember, they were worshiping idols. He's saying your idols are not divinity. So the term Godhead there is referring to everything that is God. It, and we understand that God is eternal, and He's everlasting, and he, you can't put God into a little box or whatever. But the idea is this. If you could take everything that is God, it would have all been inside of Jesus Christ because in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is not just all God, but He is all of God. Go to John chapter number 10. John chapter 10. We reject partialism. And I think what happens is that there are some people who believe the Trinity, but they think of it as partialism because it makes sense in their heads. And partialism is the belief that the three members of the Godhead are three parts that come together to make up one God. What that teaches, and the danger with that is this, if you believe partialism, you believe that God the Father is only one-third of God. The Son is only one-third of God. The Holy Spirit is only one-third of God. And they come together to make up the one God. You may believe that. That's f- I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you, that's not what we believe here. That's not what we've ever believed at Verity Baptist Church. We do not believe that Jesus is Part of God, He is all God and all of God. You say, why do you say that, all God and all of God? Here's why I say that. Because people who believe in partialism, they'll say, well, I believe Jesus is all God. And what they mean is that I believe the one-third that is Jesus, that one-third is all God. And the one-third that's the Holy Spirit, that one-third is all God. And the one-third that's the Father, that one-third is all God. I'm God, they believe that. The third uh, that's Jesus is all God. But we don't believe that Jesus is all All God, He's all God and all of God. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now please understand this. He's not the Father in the sense that He's not the person of the Father. He's not the Holy Spirit in the sense that He's not the person of the Holy Spirit because God exists in three separate and distinct persons But each member of the Godhead is all God and all of God, which is why the Holy Spirit could indwell you. It's the third person of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible says, God the Father indwells you. But the Bible says, the Son, Christ be in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is all God and all of God. Because Jesus, why why could it say that? In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Because Jesus is all God and all of God. Are you there in John chapter 10? Look at verse 30. That's what Jesus said. John chapter 10 verse 30. I and my father are one. That kind of reminds you of 1 John 5, 7, right? These three are one. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him, right? Because they knew what that meant. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, for which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. People say, oh, Jesus never said that he was God. Well, the Jews totally understood that he was making himself God, making himself equal with God, when he said, I and my Father are one. Go to John chapter 14, look at verse 8. John chapter 14, verse 8. John chapter 14 and verse eight. John 14 verse eight says this. Philip saith unto him, "Lord, don't you notice what Philip asked Jesus? He said, show, show us the Father, and it suffices., he said, "I want to see the Father." The problem with that is that the Father is invisible. And in fact, we already saw it in Hebrews that Jesus is the express image of the Father. We saw it in Colossians. It said about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. God the Father sent God the Son into the world to represent Him, to be His representative on this earth. But while God the Father was in heaven, And God the Holy Spirit was in heaven, and God the Son was on earth, or God the Holy Spirit was coming back and forth, or whatever, you know, we understand that the Holy Spirit was involved in the ministry of Christ. While God the Son was on earth, and God the Father was in heaven, it's not that one-third of God was in heaven and one-third of God was on earth. Oh, no, because they are all God and all of God. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Say, well, I I don't understand that. Okay, do you really expect to understand God? you really understand that your feeble mind and my feeble humor are going to understand God? But Jesus said, the Bible says about Jesus, in him do all the fullness of God and bodily. So when Philip said, show us the Father, verse 9, John 14, verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? And yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Now the one is we are going to say, see, they're the same person. Okay, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that you've got a million other verses, or a hundred other verses, or scores of other verses that say they're separate. They're distinct. They're not the same. So we can't take one verse and say it kind of sounds like oneness. What's he saying? Here's what he's saying He's saying, I am God. This is what Jesus is saying I am God. I am all God, and I am all of God. You want to know God? Get to know me. Because I am God. I am God in the flesh. I'm not a third of God. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he said, look, you want to get to know the Father? Get to, you, you can get to know me because I'm God. The Father is God. We're not two different gods. We're the same God. Because God exists in three persons. God exists in three persons. Now, uh, go ahead and uh, go, go with me to the, to, to the book of Isaiah Isaiah, this is the last place we're going to look at. We're not, we're not going to be done yet, but this last passage we're going to look at. Isaiah chapter 9. And let me just kind of review what we've talked about. What we've learned so far, what we've learned tonight, is that we believe in the Trinity, which is the belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. Only three persons. Can't be more, can't be less. He's always existed in three persons. God has always eternally existed in as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. All three members are equally God. All three members are eternal, meaning they've always existed as three persons. He's always been the Son. He's always been the Spirit. He's always been the Father. The three members of the Godhead voluntarily submit themselves under the chain of command. Because God is one being or entity that exists in three separate or distinct persons, we reject polytheism. We do not believe that they are three separate gods. And because we believe that each member is not partially God, they're not parts of God that come together to make up God, because we believe that each member of the Godhead is all God and all of God, we reject partialism, the belief that each is a part that comes together. Let me just finish up by um, talking about some of the things that I've been criticized for in regards to the Trinity. I know it's hard for you to believe, but yes, your pastor has been criticized. I get criticized a lot, actually. Uh, But it comes with being in ministry, and I get that. But let me talk about some of the things that I've been criticized for in regards to the teachings on the Trinity. And one is this. In, In the past, I have explained the Trinity as three persons that are one person, or three entities that are one entities, or three beings that are one being. And the reason I use that terminology is because I, I wanted to emphasize the fact that there is one God. Not three gods, one God. Not, there's three persons, but they're one entity, they're one God. Of course, when this whole oneness fighting started and we started fighting all the oneness people, people started taking everything you say you know, and using it against you or whatever. And, uh, and here's the thing, I, I still believe that God is one entity. I don't, I don't believe, here's what I don't believe. I don't believe that it's three gods and they come together as some sort of a God family or some sort of a God team. It's not three gods that are just kind of all, you know, on the same team. It's one God that exists in three persons. What I've developed since the whole oneness uh, fight began is I, I've stopped saying one, three persons that are one person or three entities that are one entities. And I've, I've been saying God exists in three persons. I think that's as clear and it gets the same point across, but it gives less uh, ammo for the enemies to use against us. And, and, it, and it takes the same point across, that it's not three parts that come together to make up one God. It's one God that exists in three persons, all at the same time. And every member is all God and all of God. In the past, I have said, Jesus is the Father. I've been criticized for saying that. I've been criticized for, for not taking it back, you know, by, for not saying that... Um, that it was wrong to do that, or it was wrong to say that. And let me just say this, this. before the whole oneness fight began, myself and many Trinitarians said, Jesus is the Father. And I refuse to acknowledge the lie, the narrative that's been pushed by the oneness crowd, because here's what the oneness crowd has done. They've gone through and they found sermons where I said Jesus the Father or some other pastor said Jesus the Father. And they'll say, see, they used to believe just like us, and they've changed. And the problem with that is that that's that's intellectually dishonest, and it's not just intellectually dishonest, it's just completely a flat-out dishonesty. Because what they're doing is they're taking this one phrase and saying, see, they used to say Jesus the Father, and they're trying to make people think like, so they used to believe oneness, but now they've changed. The problem is that if you go back and listen to all of those sermons, either shortly before the statement was made or after the statement was made, each and every pastor that made that statement was preaching against oneness. Amen. So they weren't, we weren't getting up here just preaching oneness. We're actually preaching against oneness. But many people said the term Jesus is the Father. And you know, most people said it when they were in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. This is a really controversial verse when it comes to the trinity and oneness. Let's look at it. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. The Bible says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And many of us stood up and said, Jesus is the Father. See, he shall be called the Everlasting Father. And I just want you to understand, when we said Jesus is the Father, what we meant by that is that Jesus is the same God that the Father is. Jesus is the same God that the Holy Spirit is. None of us were saying Jesus is the same person that the Father is. In fact, if you would have walked up to any of us after we got done preaching and said, do you believe that God is one person and He plays three different parts? None of us would have said yes. If you would have said, do you believe that the Father died on the cross for our sins? None of us would have said yes. What we meant by Jesus is the Father is that Jesus is the same God that the Father is, and Jesus is the same God that the Holy Spirit is, because there's only one God. And that one God exists in three persons. Now, when the oneness crowd says Jesus is the Father, what they mean by that is Jesus is the same person that the Father is. What they mean by that is that there's some guy who sometimes presents to be the Son, and sometimes presents to be the Father. Those are two different things. And look, I realize, and and this is not the pastors, I've seen this primarily with people who are listening. And I don't know what people, I don't know and I don't care what people do on YouTube and Facebook or whatever, but I want to help our church people out. I realize that it's easier to just pull a tagline and say, anyone who ever says, if you put these words in this order, Jesus is the Father, you must be a heretic. You know, you need to be careful. I realize it's easier to just that way, I can just easily just expose heretics left and right, right? Because that's the goal. The goal is to go on Facebook and expose every reprobate and heretic we can. And I'm cooler than you are if I can expose them first, right? No, that's not the goal. In case you don't understand my sarcasm, but if you you say, well, then that way I can know, I can just know Jesus the Father. That's right. And look, here's here's the point that I'm saying. Sometimes you need to understand what people are meaning by what they say. And here's an example. I've had Mormons say to me. Well, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And here's the thing. Is there anything wrong with saying I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior? Nothing wrong with that, but here's what you need to understand. When I say the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. When I, as an independent, fundamental King James-only Baptist, say that, and when a Mormon says I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, when he says that, we mean two different things. I mean... I, what I mean is that I put my faith in the second member of the Godhead as my sacri- as a sacrifice for my sins. I'm not working for it. I'm not earning it. It's all Him, plus nothing, minus nothing. And once He gives it to me, I can never lose it. What he means is that he believes that there's another God, not one God that exists in three persons. No, no, no. There's a God that's separate from the Father, who's the Son. And I'm believing in him, but I'm also repenting of my sins, and I'm also getting baptized, and I also need to live a good life. And here's all that I'm saying, is that you want to be careful about just, well, I just need a tagline, just give me the tagline, and then I'll know you're a heretic, then I can expose you. You want to be careful with that, because sometimes, here's what I'm saying, there might be some old IFB pastor somewhere who knows nothing about our movement, and what our movement's been going through over the last several years, and he gets up to Isaiah 9-6, and he says, see, Jesus is the Father, and he means the Trinity. He means he's the same God that the Father is. He's the same God that the Son is. Now, let's talk about Isaiah 9-6 just real quickly and and say this. And and here's the thing. Because there are enemies out there, and look, I realize that this sermon is going to get all cut up and clipped up and, and used against me, and I'm going to hear about it for years and that's fine. But because the enemies are out there just waiting for us to just say something, to pin us against each other and fight with each other and all that, I avoid saying Jesus the Father. You get the point across by saying one God that exists in three persons. He's all God and all of God. He's he's the same God that the Father is because that's what we were saying. That's what we meant. But here's what happens. When we get so hyped up on fighting oneness and we need to fight oneness it's a bad heresy it's a bad doctrine we need to fight it i understand it but we might get this feeling like every time there's a verse that kind of seems like it might be teaching oneness then we need to figure out a way to make sure we can explain that it's not oneness here's the thing you say well how do you preach against oneness well when you when you go to the verses where jesus is saying i'm one witness and my father is another witness i'm one man i'm one person we've already dismantled oneness Look, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. I mean, look, if there's a hundred verses that say salvation is faith alone, and there's one verse in James that kind of maybe sounds like words is needed, then you're just looking at that verse wrong. That's the answer. We don't have to freak out about James chapter 2. Oh, no, are the Catholics right? Are the Mormons? No, they're they're not right. Even if you say, well, I don't know how to explain it. When there's a hundred verses that say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, this is how you study scripture. You get to Isaiah 96, and we got to come up with an explanation to figure out a way to say that this is not teaching oneness. And here's the thing. I'm all for it. I'm not against it. I've heard great explanations of Isaiah 96. I recently heard uh, Pastor Jason Robinson's explain. Honestly, I-, I think Pastor Jason Robinson's explanation for it uh, is-, is, probably- is probably the best explanation I've heard for it as far as-, as far as what it means. But here's the point that I'm making. If the Bible is overwhelmingly clear all throughout Scripture that there are three members of the Godhead that are separate and distinct from each other, that they have separate bodies, separate wills, they align themselves in an order of, uh, uh, and a chain of command, they communicate, they're, they're three separate persons. If the Bible is overwhelmingly clear about that, then you don't have to worry about Isaiah 9-6. In fact, really, all you have to figure out is, what is God trying to tell us in Isaiah 9-6? Because here's the thing. Isaiah's not teaching oneness. So what is, the, what is the point? And look, often when I study for sermons or whatever, I, just act, I look at a verse and I think, I don't, what is the verse about? I just ask myself, what is God trying to teach us in this verse? Why did God put Isaiah 9-6 in this verse? Look at it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What is it that Isaiah is trying to tell us or teach us in this passage? Here's what he's trying to teach us. He's trying to tell us that there is a child coming. This was a prophecy of Jesus. There is a child coming. There is a son who's going to be born. And this child or this son is not a mere man like you and I are. Oh, no, no. He is God in the flesh. And he says, the everlasting, he, he says, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Or oh, is Isaiah saying that Jesus is the same person as the Father? No, here's what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus is the same God that the Father is. Which is exactly what we were all saying when we went to Isaiah 96 and said Jesus is the Father. He's saying, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's saying that there is a Son coming. He's not only all God, He is all of God. He is the representation of God the Father on this earth. This is what the Bible says, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. Because He is all God and all of God. It's talking about the fact that there is all deity is in Him. He's not the person of the Father, but He is the same God. Look, Jesus is the same God that the Father is. Jesus is the same God that the Holy Spirit is. They're not separate gods. They're one God. So don't let Isaiah 9-6 be like, I don't know, maybe the oneness people have a point. Once you have clear scriptures that tell you they're three, they're distinct, they're separate, then that's not an option. One person that plays three different parts. And if you just believe, well, Jesus is all God and all of God, in Him dwelleth all for us, then that's why He can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I and my Father are one. That's why Isaiah can say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So, In conclusion, let me just read our doctrinal statement, and hopefully I've been clear and hopefully it's made sense to you. We believe in the Trinity, which is the belief that there is one God that exists in three persons. The three persons are members of the Godhead, are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three members of the Godhead are distinct and separate persons, each possessing their own body, intellect, and will. The three are all equally God and eternal, meaning that they they have eternally existed as three persons. The three members of the Godhead voluntarily submit themselves under a chain of command. Because God is one being or entity that exists in three separate and distinct persons, we reject polytheism, the belief that they are three gods. Additionally, because we believe that each member of the Godhead is not partially God but or a part of God, each member is all God and all of God, we reject partialism, the belief that each is a part of God that comes together to make up one God. This is the Trinity and this is the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to uh, try to just understand uh, doctrine, Lord. And, and Lord, I just, I just pray you help us to believe the Trinity, to believe that there's got one God that exists in three persons. And uh, Lord, help us to, to identify that in Scripture, to realize That there will be times when distinctions and separations are made and there will be times when they're united because they're one God. They're one God that exists in three persons. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.